Well, welcome back. Glad that you could be here this evening. As some of you have mentioned and some of you know, tonight is my anniversary. I asked my lovely bride of 17 years what you would like to do this evening. She said, I would like you to preach to me. I said, baby, your wish is my command. We have a special night tonight. Uh, probably several of the families know that because you're here for that purpose. But I'll go ahead and call you out and embarrass you anyway. Today is when the seventh graders officially come into the Northside Youth Group. Uh, so let me call you out. If you are a incoming seventh grader or a parent of an incoming seventh grader, would you guys stand for just a minute? What a crew. Very good. Well, we're excited for you. This is a long-standing tradition. And now you can sit down for that long-standing tradition. This is a long-standing tradition, a milestone, a rite of passage for Northsiders for generations to mark this day to come into the youth group. Uh, I've done a number of those, and uh, your day that you have will be a memory that you won't forget. And hopefully the connection that you have with your big brother or big sister in the youth group uh, that you'll keep. And that you will look to them and, and that you will uh, have just a wonderful time uh, together in your youth group years. They are uh, some of the best times that you'll have. You'll be challenged, convicted, encouraged. You'll grow more as a Christian than you ever have in these six years. And uh, I want to bless you as uh, you begin this journey. So if you, along with the rest of the congregation, would pray with me, please. Father in heaven. As we begin tonight, we think about the journey of faith. We're mindful of those who are just beginning uh, their walk. Uh, some of them have not started that journey with Christ. Some of them have uh, just but a few weeks or months, uh, but all of them are on the same journey. And they enter a time of life when they, along with their parents, are going to be journeying together with people who are uh, at the same stage of life. Father, this is a difficult time. Uh, lots of turbulence and trial and difficulty and hardship and learning. Father, I want to pray a special blessing on them as they grow from children to adults. And I pray that six years or so from now, uh, when they leave the youth group, that it will be a better place, a better people uh, than when they came into it. I pray that they will understand the responsibility as members of the Northside Youth Group what a blessing, what a privilege that is, but also the great responsibility that comes along with that. Father, bless them, bless their families as they begin tonight on the beautiful journey with the youth group and all the families in it. Won't you bless them and bless the families as they seek to draw near to you. I pray that you will draw near to them. Give them strength for whatever trials they may have, blessings that they can point back to you, and a courage and strength of heart and character, that they might be bold, shining lights to work in your kingdom. Thank you, Father, for your love for us. Bless them. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As we talk about stories of faith, we are going through um, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Our theme is Hebrews 10.23, and that's kind of been this whole what verse that this series had been centered around, the writer says, Let us hold unswervingly to the faith we profess, for he who promised is faithful. 
So tonight, as part of this series, we're going to look specifically at Moses. And we're really not going to look at the entire life of Moses. Uh, That's been done. I want to just focus on one particular verse of his entire story. Numbers chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Numbers chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, and I think the version that you see is verse 3 of the English Standard Version. Let me read verses 1, 2, and 3. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman who he had married. For he had married a Cushite woman, and they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now, the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who are on the face of the earth. This verse has always struck me, as maybe it has struck you, as a little bit odd in the story of Moses. And so I want to spend some time tonight talking about this word meek, how it relayed in Moses' life, and hopefully how it will relay in our lives. With all the festivities we have tonight, this one part, this one sermon may be divided into two parts, but only if you're good. Moses, as you probably know, is one of the great characters in Bible history. His influence ranks right up there with Abraham and David and Elijah and even Jesus. His story is compelling, born into slavery, uh, raised in royalty, and called from a shrubbery. He wrote the first five books, what we commonly call the Pentateuch. He gave Israel a new covenant. There's an entire covenant based on his name, the Mosaical Covenant. He led a nation. He lived to be 120 and did much of the things that we just mentioned in the last third of his life. His influence spans not only throughout the Bible... His name alone is mentioned over 800 times in both the Old and New Testament. But his influence extends today in our modern world through the laws and judicial system that we have. Many of them find their basis right in the Mosaical laws given by God to Moses. All of that is fantastic and bears much more study than we're going to give it. None of that is what I'm going to talk about tonight. I really have just one question. And that is, when we think of Moses, was he meek? Because that is not the first adjective that I think of when thinking about the mighty Moses. Why is this scripture in here? When I read the passage that I've just read to you, the logical question that follows for me is simply this. Did Moses really write that? And did Moses himself write, now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people on the face of the earth? Does that strike you as a bit braggadocious? A little bit Donald Trump-esque? Just see Moses up there on the mountain. And frankly, (laughs) 
There is no one as meek as me. I, I am very, very meek. That's just how this verse strikes me. I mean, it doesn't really follow to talk about Moses as one of the greats and then for he himself to write down that, yeah, that's true. It's a little more problematic than that. Some liberal theologians look at this verse and they say, clearly Moses did not write the first five books of the Bible. Clearly he did not write numbers. No one who was so meek would write that about himself. All right, well, let me explain. First of all, we need a definition. So we go to where you find definitions. used to be Webster. Now it's Google. And Google says that meek means quiet, gentle, and easily imposed upon, submissive. The opposite of him, of, of meek, rather, is assertive. Meekness means mild-mannered. Some people would say it means weak. If you're not good with, you know, if, if reading that definition is too difficult for you, let me just give you a picture of meek. I realize how dated of a picture this is. You'll excuse me just a second. Seventh graders, this was a man by the name of Mr. Rogers. He was a weird guy who wore sweaters at inappropriate times. And he would want to be everybody's neighbor. And he talked like this. Well, yeah, they're looking at me like all of you are looking at me. This is me. This is what we think of. Was this Moses? Was this the great leader of Israel? Please, won't you be my neighbor? This fallacious understanding has given way to the idea that Christian people are to be the same way. That if you're a Christian, what God calls you to be is very kind, overly polite, but effectively a doormat. Because that's what Moses was. That's what Jesus was. I don't know if you're familiar with the DISC profile. It's a little inventory you can do. Companies, businesses use it a lot to kind of figure out where their employees, like what their temperament is. And you have uh, DISCs. They stand for different temperaments. I don't get into all that. What I like to remember are the symbols for each temperament. And the DISC... uh, You can remember pretty easily, the D is the lion, dominant. Just come in, be the steamroller, be the pusher, be the driver, be the force, be the visionary. The I uh, is the otter. It's the people person, the fun person. They're always about having parties and having fun and socializing. The S is the retriever. The retriever is the team player. It never wants to cause a fuss. Uh, always willing to get along. Uh, just goes along, doesn't want like to make waves at all. And the C, uh, that, that temperament is, the picture of that is the beaver. And the beaver is very detail-oriented. Like, has all sorts of lists and very task-oriented and just get things done. But, but just get it done and, and pay attention to the details. Planning is very important. 
So you have these four temperaments. And if we buy into this fallacy, then what, what Christians are all supposed to be is the retriever. Just good old team players. And don't make any waves. Just get along with everybody. Now, my contention is tonight that that is not who God calls us to be. It's certainly who Moses was not. But if we understand this a little bit better, maybe it'll help us understand what it means to be a Christian and to be strong and courageous and to practice bold faith in an increasingly dark world. As we said, these two pictures don't seem to line up. These two characters, these two impressions. And yet, the scripture says that Moses was the most meek of all. All that were on the earth. And and Mr. Rogers would be sort of our visual definition of meekness. The picture of Moses doesn't match the description. Moses killed a man, Exodus chapter 2 says, and not only did he kill a man, he wasn't even apologetic about it. He tried to cover it up, Exodus chapter 2 says. Moses, called by God, confronted the, the dominant world power, the Pharaoh. Now, if Pharaoh wasn't a lion when he started, after a lifetime of being bowed down to, I can guarantee you Pharaoh was a lion temperament because whatever he, his word was the gospel. His word was absolute command. Moses went up to that guy and defied him and questioned him and challenged him. Moses gave the Israelites clear instructions about the law of God. From the mountain. Moses led a ragtag group of Hebrew slaves to become the nation of Israel. Moses dealt with sin in the camp, which is my idea that Moses may have very well been the first youth minister. Exodus chapter 32, verses 19 and 20. As soon as he, that was Moses, came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire. He ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and forced the people of Israel to drink it. Sounds like a pretty meek guy, wouldn't you say? So, Moses either wasn't meek, which means, of course, then, that God's word is flawed. That that maybe Moses really didn't write it. Maybe it's not really inspired. Maybe it's not really true. Or perhaps Moses was meek. And simply my understanding of that word, which is flawed. Makes you think. 
Hopefully by now you know my answer will be number two. That's why I color-coded it in green so you could get the idea that's where we're headed. Assuming Scripture is inerrant, then we must look at our understanding of the word meek. And so tonight I hope the rest of the message will help us to understand what that word means. Because it's not the first time it will be used in Scripture. The answer should not only help us to understand Moses, but also help us have a proper perspective on our meekness and how to apply it. First, let's go back to the text. Romans, I'm sorry, Numbers chapter 12. Get a little context. Anytime we get a question on Know Your Bible about some point of Scripture, almost 100% of the time that we do this. Context is a nice fancy word for meaning. We're going to read a few verses before and a few verses after, and that will help us understand. Numbers chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses. It's important. Because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. Which I think that's redundant. And I think that's redundant. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. What did he hear? Did he hear whining and complaining? No, he heard something much worse. He heard two people with an authority problem. You say they were questioning Moses' authority. That's bad. No, 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 no. If that were it, that wouldn't be the problem. Whose authority were they ultimately questioning? They were questioning God's. They were questioning the fact that God had, of the man that God had picked. Meekness ultimately is an attitude who understand, which understands who's in charge. Moses got that. I remember when he was called how very willing he was to be a leader. No, not at all. He argued with God. But eventually he figured out God's in charge for whatever reason, and I surely don't understand it myself, God's picked me. I stutter. I'm not a good leader. People don't know me. I've got a bad history. But God's picked me to lead these people. So I will submit. I will yield what I want to what God wants. Moses got that. What you see here in Numbers chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and Miriam and Aaron speak against Moses. You could really just cross out Moses and write God. They're doing the same thing. They are arguing with God, but they're putting themselves in the place of God. Let us do it. Call us. We can do it. The opposite of meek, as we said, is assertive. Now, being assertive, in my, in my, what I'm trying to set up here, I don't think being assertive is a problem. In fact, I'll, I'll contend, I think many times Christians aren't assertive enough. We cower in fear. So being assertive isn't a problem until, until you try to overstep the authority of God. You usurp or try to his authority. And when we do that, 
The Bible has a word for that, and it's called sin. Every example of people trying to, well, I mean, the very first sin, that was how the enemy approached them. Did God really say? Oh, come on. God, he doesn't mean that. He knows that when you partake of that fruit, you'll be like him. And that's the whole part of it, is, is just building up that pride to where you begin to put yourself in God's place. To take upon the responsibility and to question his decisions. Now, the opposite of that, uh, let's look at a couple of examples. Example number one. King David. David was bold. David was brash. One of my favorite scriptures of David's whole story is that moment where he and the Israelite army are, are together and they're looking into the battle valley. And David decides he's not going to stand for it any longer. And the scripture says, David with man after God's own heart, ran to meet him. He didn't cower. He didn't slowly, begrudgingly walk down. He ran to meet that enemy. He wasn't afraid of him, but he sure wasn't going to let that enemy of God stand up and defy him. He was a warrior. Saul has killed his thousands, and David his tens of thousands, the scripture says. He was a leader. Naturally, he was a poet. Some of the best descriptions of God we have came from David's hand. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. David was anything. He was certainly not a pushover, a doormat. There's this interesting story of all of David's life in 1 Samuel chapter 24 that I'd like you to turn to, because it won't be on the screen. 1 Samuel chapter 24. And I want you, we're going to look at this picture that we get of David before he was king. 1 Samuel chapter 24. <clears throat> when Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all of Israel and went to seek David as his men and his men in front of the wild goat's rock. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way, and there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. And now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David said to him, Here is the day. Of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Now that wasn't the Lord speaking, that was David's counsel. And David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said, why, why does that bother you? He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed. You see his attitude there? Totally the opposite of Miriam and Moses, uh, Miriam, Miriam and Aaron. 
he understood who Saul was. As bad of a guy as he was, as terrible as a leader as he was, he was not in a place to remove God's anointed. Going on, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Afterward, David arose and also went out of the cave and called after Saul, My Lord, the king! And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. You understand what meekness is? This is a picture of it right here. It was not like Saul was a beloved king or leader. It wasn't like there was thousands of people clamoring for David to be the next king. And yet, David knew his place. David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm. Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave, and someone told me to kill you, but I spared you. Now, the important part is what he says next, the why. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Saul was a bad leader. He, many, easily the case could be made that he was a bad king. That his ego went too far. He made many mistakes and sinned in many ways. But he was God's anointed. David wouldn't touch Saul. Because God had called Saul. God had anointed Saul. And David respected that. You see, meekness has to do with our attitude not toward other people, although that's a byproduct. But first and foremost, meekness has to do with our attitude towards God, toward his authority, toward those he has anointed, toward those he has called. I think we would do well. To keep in mind David's example of meekness. Because it wasn't weakness. But it was putting his strength and his gifts and his abilities under God's total control. I have another example and uh, three more points to make. But I know we've got the seventh grader and their families coming in tonight. And so I'm going to make this one sermon into two. And I hope that you'll consider whether or not Moses was a meek man. But of greater importance is asking whether or not you, yourself, are meek. I think you can still be assertive. I certainly think you can be a lion. I think the Christian, Christian community and the kingdom at large needs more bold people. But that doesn't mean those people are weak or meek. Or doormats. Meekness has to do with our attitude towards God. And toward his will. And we'll look at that more next week. If you are ready tonight to submit your will for a lifetime. 
Jesus said there's only one way to do that, and that's through him. If you're ready to put him on in baptism, you're making a lifelong commitment, ready to begin this journey of daily sacrificing your will to the fathers. Like David, like Moses, and like more that we'll see next week. If you have other needs of the congregation, we'd certainly be happy to pray for you and with you and submit our wills collectively, together, to God's will and lift you up in prayer. Whatever your need might be, I beg that you would come as together we stand and sing.